Well, Ruth chapter 3 tonight. Ruth chapter 3, and uh, I want to read a few verses here. We're going to begin reading in verse 14. We're really kind of cutting into, uh, cutting into a, uh, uh, the middle of a, of a story. Uh, really, the whole book of Ruth tells a story. And then in chapter 3, this is a particular scene in the story of Ruth where Ruth is uh, laying at the feet of Boaz in the threshing floor. Now, I'm going to take for granted that some of you know kind of what's going on here uh, in the story of Ruth. Ruth is not, a, is not an Israelite. She is from Moab, and she has come to Israel, to Bethlehem, with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Naomi has, uh, uh, has uh, lost a husband and, and two sons. One of those sons was married to Ruth, and uh, instead of Ruth just going on with her life in Moab, she has returned back to Bethlehem with Naomi. The only problem is there's an inheritance issues and all these things with what belonged to Naomi's husband, Elimelech. And in the law of that day stated that there had to be a, a kinsman, somebody, a near relative that would redeem that land, buy that land. And, uh, and not only that land, but everything that belonged to the family of Elimelech, that included Ruth. And Ruth was of childbearing years, childbearing age, and so it was expected that whoever took the land and the inheritance, they would marry Ruth and raise up a child uh, to, uh, to carry on the name of Elimelech. And so that's what's going on here in this story. And uh, there's a lot of things that's going on here, but Boaz is a near kinsman, and they have been led to Boaz, and Ruth goes to the threshing floor lays at his feet and makes a proposal. Now we're used to the, we're used to the man getting on one knee and uh, making a proposal, right? But that's not exactly how it worked in this story. She went at night at the threshing floor. When they got done uh, at the time of uh, harvest and they went through all that grain and, uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, and you know, went through all it, they separated the wheat, wheat and the chaff. It would be an all-night affair and even be like a party, if you will, the end of barley harvest. And they would party and they would do the work, and then they would all just pass out, right, and go to sleep. And here on this threshing floor, and Ruth slips in and finds Boaz and asks him to do the part of the kinsman redeemer. And pretty much she's saying, would you marry me? Would you, would you marry me and, and be, my, be my husband and raise up the name of, uh, of Elimelech and do the part of the kinsman redeemer? And we find that he says that he would do it. And, uh, but there's a problem. And the problem is, is that there is somebody that has a legal right before Boaz. We call that a near kinsman, a nearer kinsman. And we're not given his name, but we know that he has a, 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 a first dibs, if you will, a legal, uh, legal uh, uh, standing to, uh, to take this property. And, even, and, that, and Ruth goes along with it. Uh, and, uh, and marry Ruth. And so there's a chance that Ruth and Boaz would not be together. And when we come to this, uh, when we come to this text tonight, beginning as verse 14, the whole situation is up in the air. She's laid at his feet until the morning. That's how it begins in verse 14. And, uh, and Boaz sends her home. Uh, and, but the whole situation is just, it's just not sure. Ruth is not sure how it's going to play out. Boaz says, I'm going to go and I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to do the best I can. And you're just going to have to wait. And, uh, and so that's what's going on in our text here. The Bible says, verse 14, that she lay at his feet until the morning, and she rose up before one could know another. And he said, Let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. And he said, Bring the veil that thou hast upon thee, and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley, and laid it on her, and she went into the city. 
And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, These six measures of barley gave he me. For he said to me, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Then said she, Sit still, my daughter, till thou know how the matter will fall. For the man will not be in rest until he hath finished the thing this day. And in my Bible, I underline these two words, the words, Sit still. Sit still. And I want to preach on that with the help of the Lord tonight, just for a moment before we go home tonight. I want to preach on sitting still, on sitting still. Father, I pray that you'd help us from the Word of God tonight. Lord, we need you. Lord, there will be no preaching done, God, unless you fill me with the Spirit of God and anoint me and use me for your glory. God, I pray that you'd anoint the hearer as well. God, help them to receive the message that, uh, uh, that has, been, uh, has been laid on my heart tonight, not because it's me giving it, but because it's from your Word. It's from your heart tonight. And God, I pray that it would help us, Lord, encourage us. I don't know where everybody's at. I don't know what they're going through, but God, you do. And God, I pray that you would encourage us from the Word of God tonight. We'll give you praise. We'll give you honor. We'll give you glory. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, if, if, if we were reading a novel or if we were watching a play or a movie or something like that, this would be considered the uh, crisis point of the story. This would be uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the problem point, if you will. Because every story that you read, any good story that you've ever read or any good you know, play that you've ever watched or movie or something like that, there's always a problem that needs a resolution. Every story has a problem that needs a resolution. Nobody wants to read a book or watch a movie about somebody's perfect life and how they get up and have a perfect life and then everything goes well. There's something about us. We like to watch people struggle. I don't know why that is, but we like to, we like to watch people have a hard time. And then we like to root for them and we like to see them come out victorious. We like to see them conquer the struggle or the problem. It's what makes a story compelling. It's what makes a story interesting is that there is a problem that needs to be uh, needs to be overcome. And that's exactly what we find here. As I've already explained, when we come to the story of Ruth and Naomi, there's a problem that needs to be overcome, right? There's an inheritance that is unclaimed. There are, there's a, 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 an old woman by the name of Naomi who's left untaken cared for. There's, a, there's a, a young woman by the name of Ruth, and she is left without a child, and she is left with, a, uh, with no love in her life, and, and all these things that's going on. There's, there's a problem, and they've come back to Bethlehem, and, and Naomi's come back. Of course, this is Ruth's first time in Bethlehem. She's born in Moab, but she's come back, and, and, and Naomi's come back, and, and, and it's just a problem. What's going to happen? Everything's gone wrong in her life. That's the way the story of Ruth opens up. Read the first couple of verses. It's tragedy. It's three funerals, right? Elimelech and Malon and Kilion and their funerals, and it's sad. And what's going to happen? Is there any joy? Is there any hope uh, for these uh, two ladies? And that's how the story opens. And, and, we're, and, and every story has some people that you're rooting for to win in spite of all odds. And that's how this story is. You want to see Naomi and Ruth do well. You want to see them uh, find happiness and find joy and find some victory you know, in their life. And every story, every good story, has a plan. And there's some kind of plan in that story. That's the way it is here. Uh, there's, a, there's a plan. There's a path to victory. There's a path to hope. There's some kind of hope. There's a glimmer of hope, right? Where, man, maybe, maybe it's all going to work out. Maybe everything's going to be okay. Maybe everything's going to come together and 
and everything's going to be all right. And, and there's happiness is in, in sight. And there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And joy is just ahead. But then somewhere in that story, if it's a good story, somewhere in that story, something comes up, right? And, 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 it, and it puts in jeopardy everything that we were hoping for. The happiness, the joy, the fulfillment. Now it's all in trouble. Now it may not happen. Now it may not all come together. This is the crisis point. That's where we're at here. It looked like, man, Boaz, this is too good to be true, right? She likes him. He likes her. I mean, she's, I mean she just happened to go glean in a field and it belonged to a kinsman redeemer. He happened, read chapter 2, he happened to just see her and say, Shazam, you know. You got to read the Hebrew to find that now. Right? You got to do some deep studying to find that kind of stuff now. And she, he looked at her and said, man, Shazam, she's a pretty one right there. I want to know who is that woman right there. And it looks like, man, this is going to be great. I mean, he's a wealthy bachelor, and she's an eligible bachelorette. and every, I mean, it's all going to work out. And, and, and even Boaz says, yes, I'm willing to do the part of the kinsman redeemer. But, but, there is a near kinsman. And he has legal right. He could... In, he could intervene and, 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 and uh, redeem all that belonged to Elimelech, and, and that includes you. And so when we come to the end of chapter 3, this text that we've read tonight, we're really left hanging in the balance, aren't we? Now, if you're a Bible reader, you've read chapter 4, you know it all, it all works out, don't it? It's, there's a happily ever after to this love story. Yes, wonderful, great, but... We're left in the balance in chapter 3. We're wondering, will there be a future for Ruth and Boaz? And that's exactly where Ruth's at. Now, listen, we know the end of Ruth's story because we know the end of Ruth's story. But Ruth don't know the end of her story. We know it's chapter 3. We know there's a chapter 4. Ruth don't know there's a chapter 4. She don't even know she's in chapter 3. That's not how she thinks of her life at all. She's living her life one day at a time, just like you and I live our life. We don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. There are things I'm sure that you're thinking about and you might even be worrying about and wondering about. Aren't there probably some things in your life that, you, that you're praying for them to be resolved and, and, and maybe you can see light at the end of the tunnel, but then maybe there's some days where that light has gone out or maybe that light's a train, you know, you think you're just going to get run over, you know. And, uh, and there's sometimes you think, man, I think it's all going to work out. And sometimes you think, man, everything's going to fall apart. And there are most of our life, can I tell you, that's the way most of our life, most of our life is spent waiting to see how things are going to turn out. And if you don't watch out, you can get anxious and a little antsy and a little, a little uh, nervous and worrisome, and you can do some things that'll mess up, mess up your life. What was, the, what was the advice that Naomi gave to Ruth? Sit still. Now that's easy for me to look at and say, yeah, Ruth, sit still. There's a chapter four, just sit still. Boaz has it all under control. It's all going to work out, but she don't know that. I don't know about you, but if I was Ruth, I think I'd be pacing the floor. Now listen, I have, I have a lot of problems, okay? I'm just going to be honest with you. But one of my problems is sitting still. It always has been. I'm not a sit still kind of guy. 
Listen, you can ask my family. When I'm on the phone, I pace. I cannot sit down and take a phone call. Uh, when, I, you know, when, I, when I'm studying, oh, this is horrible. This would drive some people crazy. But uh, I'm sure if you check the security cameras where my office was at the church, you know, I'm sure if somebody were to check them, we had several people that had access to it. They probably thought, what's wrong with that preacher? Because they'd see me going into my office and out of my office. And in my office, and I'd walk around, and then I'd go, that's how I study. That's how I meditate. That's how I think. I don't know why, but I, I have trouble sitting still. And now I don't have an office at all. I don't even have an office. We live in a little cabin in Denton, North Carolina. And so I sit at a little table while the kids are doing their homeschool, and I got my Bible open, and we're studying all together right and I get up and pace around that little cabin and and uh, man that's just how I that's just how I am I've never been good at sitting still my my older kids they do great now we got one back here that uh, he's struggling just a little bit he's gonna be the worst out of all of them this boy's spoilt now all right I'm sorry but it's not good we, we thought we were done having kids all right we thought it was all done ten years later after the twins were born you know you have two at one time that'll change a man right there and I think, hey, you know what? I don't know if we want to do this again. And, but surprise, surprise, here comes little Benny boy, all right? His name's Bennett. We call, I like to call him Benny boy. And uh, little Benny come along, and uh, you know what? I don't know why, but I don't think he gets as many spankings as these, these got over here. This boy thinks he's got four mamas. He's got three of them right here on his pew. He's got these older sisters that they think they got a little baby doll now, you know, real real-life baby doll. And, Anyway, so he's so spoiled. He don't like to sit still, but these kids, they do pretty good sitting still. I, you know, even when I was their age, I think I got in a lot more trouble than they did. I've never been. I've had, they, probably would, they probably would give me some kind of pill or something now. In fact, I had a first-grade teacher that did that. She told my mom, her name was Miss Holtzinger. She was a mean woman. But anyway, but Miss Holtzinger, my first-grade teacher, my mom tells me, I didn't know it then, my mom tells me now, said, said, yeah, she sat me down at a conference, at a parent-teacher conference. She said, you have to put this boy on medicine. You got to put him on medicine. My mom wouldn't, my mom wouldn't do it. But, uh, but said, so you had, now my dad just beat the fire out of me is what he did. They didn't believe in medicine. They believed in uh, alternate, uh, alternative drugs. <laughs> Dragging me around the house, you know, beating me half to death. But anyway, that's another story for another day. I'm supposed to talk to my therapist about these things and not to y'all, but <laughs> just kidding. But anyways, so uh, uh, I always had problems sitting still in church, you know, getting in trouble and, and, and I, you know, for talking and, and, and for wiggling around and things like that. And I got to think about it the other day. I thought, you know what? I used to get in trouble all the time for wiggling around. I couldn't sit still. And you know what? Now I get paid to do it. I do. I get paid to move around and yell in church. I used to get beat for it. Now I do it for a living. Amen. You know what the moral of the story is? Find something you're good at and find somebody that'll pay you for it. Amen. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but anyways, sitting still. But not, I'm not just talking about physically. You know, you can, there's some people they can sit still physically, but on the inside they're churning, aren't they? Just emotions. Just, just, uh, just going. They're worried. They're, they're anxious. They're, they're, they're doing anything. That sitting still is more than just sitting on a chair, sitting on a stool, sitting on the couch and being able to stay there. It, it, it's having a peace of mind, it, having a calmness of spirit, being able to sit still. Sitting still when you don't know how things are going to turn out. Sitting still when you don't understand how everything's how everything's going to be. We hate to wait, don't we? We hate to wait. We want everything to be resolved right now. 
We want the prodigal to come home now. We want the sickness to be healed now. We want the church to grow right now. We want, if you're an evangelist, you want the calendar to be full right now. When all the meetings, how am I going to, Lord, tell me, tell me what you're going to do six months from now. Lord, I don't know. We want, it to be, we want the debt to be paid off now. We want the marriage to be better right now. We want conflicts to be resolved right now. We want the prayers to be answered right now. We want it right now. We're this microwave generation. At least my generation is. Everything, my generation is, everything, everything is fast. It's right now. I mean, uh, uh, I'm 36 years old. I, I, I do remember, my kids won't have this in their mind, but I do remember what it was like before you know, high-speed internet and cell phones and all those things. I, I, was, I was, you know, tw- I don't know, 12, 13, 14 years old before my parents had a cell phone and, um, and things. I know that's crazy. Some of y'all are thinking, man, you're, you're still wet behind the ears. Some of y'all got socks older than I am. I know, I know that. I know that. That's fine. That's good. But, <laughs> well, you might need to get you some new socks. But, uh, but I'm just used to, I'm used to everything. You know, I, I, but I, remem- I remember back when... When, I remember when we got internet in our house for the first time. Now it's, you know, if it takes my kids, you know, if they're looking up something or whatever, playing a game or something and it's hooked online or trying to watch something, you know, streaming over the internet or whatever, if it starts buffering a little bit, oh, they have, they hyperventilate, don't they? What in the world's going on, you know? What in the world? And I'm thinking, man, I remember it wasn't that long ago, I remember sitting in my dad's office at the house and he was opening up that computer. He just got a computer. Uh, a desktop computer. It was in a box. It looked like a cow. It was a gateway computer. Y'all remember something? Y'all remember that? And he hooked it up, and he had this disc that said AOL on it. And I remember he put the disc inside. Computer older now, when I was even younger, but I remember this specifically. And it hooked into the wall, and he said, "This is internet. We're gonna we're gonna be able to look at things, surf the internet." And he hooked it into the wall, and it made the horrible sound. That boy in the back row ain't got a clue what's going on right now. He's like, he's like, Mama, how old is this guy? I'm not old. I'm not old. I, I was born in 1987. That ought to make some of y'all feel old. 1987. I'm not that old. I was born at the very end of the Reagan administration. You know, I'm going to tell you something. But that's what this generation, we're used to fast. And if you don't watch it, everybody else, we just we get used to everything fast. Well, the drive-through is fast, and, and the microwave makes things fast. And, and this ain't the crock pot generation. This is the microwave generation. We don't like to wait. And if it's not answered right now, we get a little, we get a little anxious and we get worried. And we want it all right now. Can I tell you the kind of thoughts? Let me give you. I, I thought about not even preaching all these, but let me let me just get let me let me just give them to you. There's three kinds of thoughts in your mind that'll keep you from being able to sit still and keeping you from being able to just wait on God and see how it's all going to work out. I thought about first of all. I'm going to call it this. I'm going to call it fruitless thoughts fruitless thoughts thoughts that don't produce anything good fruitless thoughts and 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 those kind of thoughts come from uh fruitless is vain it's empty it's it's nothingness it's it's when you are thinking about things that may not even come to pass 
That's what worry is, isn't it? Worry is when you formulate outcomes that haven't even happened yet. That's what, it, that's, what Ruth, that's what Naomi tells Ruth. Look at verse 18. She said, sit still, my daughter. Here's what she says. Until thou know. I underline those three words right there in my Bible. This is what's been helping me lately. Until thou know. Until you know. Sit and stay calm until you know. There's no need getting upset about something that you don't know yet. Those are fruitless thoughts. Those are vain thoughts. Those are empty thoughts. That's empty worrying. That's when you, and I, I don't know about you, but I, I have a tendency to do this. When there's a situation, and I don't know how it's all going to work out, and I don't understand how it's all going to play out, I don't know about you, but I'll go ahead and, and, and play it out in my mind. And by the way, most of the time, it's not the best scenario. I don't know how you're wired, but sometimes I, I'm a little wired to be a little pessimistic sometimes. I have to pray about that. I have to overcome that. And so that way, you know, it's that way when I was, you know, when I was pastoring and somebody said, hey, preacher, hey, I need to talk to you after church. Oh, Lord, that would just tear me up. Preacher, I need, hey, I need to talk to you after church. Man, I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to worship. I wouldn't be able to preach. You know why? Because in my mind, they hate my guts and they hate my family and they're leaving the church and they're going to, you know, talk about us on Facebook and all that. And I'm thinking the whole worst thing in the world. And then I get in a meeting and my nerves are all tore up and I sit down with them and they say, oh, hey, preacher, I just wanted to see if there was anything I could do to help you around here. I sure do love and appreciate you. And I'm just like, I'm such a dummy. <laughs> but isn't that the way, isn't that the way it works? <laughs> We start, we start thinking of the worst case. You know, the doctor calls and says, hey, you know, I, I, need, to, I need to see you or I need to talk to you or, or you feel this or that and you go get it checked out and you're waiting on some test results and you think, man, it's the worst thing in the world. Can I tell you, hey, listen, you want some good advice? I'm not a doctor, but I'm going to give you some medical advice right here. You ready? I'm not a doctor now, so take it knowing this. Listen, do not Google your symptoms. Stay off of WebMD.com. Stay off of there. Don't go anywhere near there because it's probably just a little cold, but you're going to get on the computer and it's going to tell you you got cancer, okay? <laughs> Stay away from all that. Isn't that, how we do, isn't that how we do, though? It's the worst thing in the world. You know, we call, we call one of our family members and they don't answer right away and they think, oh, man, they've been in a wreck, you know. Man, it's the worst. And now we're trying to, you know, we're calling the police station and calling every hospital in town and, when he might have just been on the other line, you know. Those are fruitless thoughts. Things we get tore up about before we know all the facts. Things we get tore up about before we know everything that's going on. She said, sit still. Listen, until you know. Ain't no use of getting tore up about something until you know about it. Now, if Boaz can't do it, if this other kinsman, she's probably thinking, this guy, who is this nearer kinsman? I mean, who is he? What does he look like? Is he fat? Is he bald? Is he broke? Is he what, you know? Am I going to have to marry this guy? <laughs> Maybe she's thinking about those things, and Naomi says, hey, Ruth, sit still. Don't assume the worst until you know all the facts. Don't expect it until you know. Jesus talked about that kind of worry. He said, Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 34. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. 
There's an, listen, there's enough that I know about right now. I don't have to start speculating about tomorrow. I don't have to start prognosticating and speculating and, and, and formulating all these things that may happen tomorrow. There's enough bad I know right now. <laughs> ain't, no use of, ain't no use of trying to take tomorrow's rain clouds and pull them on today's sunshine. Sometimes we just need to sit still and release those fruitless thoughts, vain thoughts. Instead, we ought to put our mind on what we do know. And what did Ruth know? Boaz loves me. He desires me. And he's going to do everything he can to make this work. And ultimately, this is what Naomi was saying, until you know how it's going to fall. Ultimately, you know what Naomi's saying? This is in God's hands. And we're just going to have to trust Him. And it's going to be alright no matter what. Somehow, some way, it's going to be okay no matter what happens. Sit still. Sit still. Those fruitless thoughts fill our minds. Not only that, I'm going to give you another one. These, I, mean, I think they kind of overlap. I think they go hand in hand. But I'm going to call it not just fruitless thoughts, but how about faithless thoughts? Faithless thoughts. Thoughts I, about, I don't know if, I don't know if God's going to be able to to deal with this situation. I don't know if he's going to be able to do it. I don't know if he's going to be able to come through. I don't know if he will. I don't, I don't know if he loves me enough. I don't know if he wants me enough. I don't know if he, I don't know. And we start doubting God and who he is. We start doubting that he loves us. And we start doubting that he wants to take care of us. And we start doubting that he wants what's best for us. And he's going to do, listen, shall not the judge of the earth do right? He'll always do right. My grandfather just quoted that verse to me last week. Was it last week? Well, this past Thursday was one week, so it would have been week before last. I was on my way. I was on my way to our home in Alabama. We were Heather and the kids were already there. They were doing some work. We're doing some painting and doing some things to get the house ready. And when we can, and I was preaching in Spartanburg, in South Carolina, and so I was on my way to our home in Alabama, uh, and I was coming. Towards. I was about in Greenville. I hadn't got far, far out of Spartanburg. I was about in Greenville or so, Anderson maybe, and I was headed 85 south. I was going to go through Atlanta. My aunt calls me and says that, uh, she said, Christian, and she calls me, that's my name, Christian, she calls me Christian. She's about the only one in the world who calls me Christian. Not, not many people think I'm a Christian, I guess. I don't know. That is my real name. But she said, Chris, she said, I think, uh, she said, I'm sorry to tell you the bad news. She said, but uh, Papa, that's my grandfather, said he's been in a real bad automobile accident and they had to rush him to Grady Hospital in Atlanta and um, and it's it's real it's real bad it's real bad and I told her I said I said well Aunt Sandra I said I'm I'm actually just a, about an hour and a half two hours two hours outside of Atlanta I said I'm on my way down I said I'll I'll stop at the hospital and and, uh, and before they're about to take him back for emergency surgery she said I think you can get here in time before they take him back it'll be a couple hours and I said, okay. I said, I'll, I'll, I'll get there just as quick as I can. And I got there and went through the emergency room. He was in like a little emergency sectional trauma unit back there. And, uh, and right in the middle of downtown Atlanta, Grady Hospital. And uh, he had had, a, uh, he'd had a bad car accident. He just went out that morning. They were out of coffee. And my Nana sent him and said, we need some coffee. We're out of coffee. All they had was decaf. He didn't want decaf. I can understand that. And uh, he wanted the real stuff. And so he... 
he went to go to the Ingles. There's an Ingles right there in Bremen, Georgia. That's where they live. And uh, he was going to the Ingles to get some coffee. And he just went out just to run a quick errand. Ended up getting hit by a uh, like a utility truck, like a like a power company truck or something like that. I'm still not sure. Still don't have all the details yet. And uh, they just couldn't find him for hours. Didn't know where he was. He was wanting to answer his phone, and, and nobody knew where he was. And I wasn't like him. And and finally got a call from Grady Hospital. They had rushed him all the way to Atlanta, and because he had uh, he had uh, his spinal cord was broken, his upper back. He's almost 80 years old. Severed his severed his spinal cord. It was he still had just, he still had a little movement. He could he could move his fingers. I think just a little bit. Move his toes just a little bit. And uh, so it wasn't a complete break but it was enough that messed him up real good and he uh, he was there in the hospital and I got to go back there and had that had that neck brace on and he was his head was all bloody and his some of his hand and anyway I'm not trying to give too many details but I'm just this is what I remember when I walked in there my grandfather's very active even for 79 years old very active he's always been, always had more energy than me always he was my pastor I worked with him in the ministry I was his assistant for before I started pastoring him and just he would out, outdo me. I couldn't keep up with the man. And he's always been that way. And just to see him so still and just so sitting there. And that neck brace, they told him, said, you, said, Mr. Simpson, you cannot move your neck at all. If you do, you could be completely paralyzed. you got to have this surgery. They put rods and screws and everything. Surgery went well, by the way. But, um, but he's, he's right there. And he's, he just kept quoting. He said, Chris, he just kept quoting that verse over to me. He said, shall not the judge of the earth do right? He said, God's always right. That's what he said. We prayed together for we went to surgery. He just kept looking and said, Chris, God's always right. Everything he does, God's always right. He's always right. I don't know. I don't think he'll ever walk again other than a miracle. He's, he'll probably pretty much be, be very immobile the rest of his life because of the injury. But he's still in the hospital. Got to do some rehab and things, but you never know. You never know what God may do. I want you to pray for him. His name's Johnny Simpson. But I'll never forget that. See him there in that hospital bed. And he said, he's right. God's going to do right. Can I tell you something? I don't know. He, he's laying there not, not sure if he's ever going to walk again. But in his mind, he didn't know. He didn't think he was going to live through that surgery. He told me that. He said, Chris, I think this is it. I'm not going to live through the surgery. But he did. And, and, and he, he thought this was it. For, he didn't know how things were going to work out. But you know what he said? He said, God's always right. God's always right. Can I tell you what? That's faithful thoughts. That's not, you know, those times when, when you don't know how things are going to work out and you don't know what's, what's going to happen. Can I tell you, that's when we need to have thoughts of God's faithfulness. And God is a, he's able. He's going to do right. And He'll always do right. And that's exactly what, look, I'm not just pulling this out of the air. This is what Naomi told Ruth. She said, until thou know how the matter will fall. Look what she said. For the man will not be in rest until he has finished the thing this day. You know what she said? Said, trust Boaz. That's what, that's what Naomi told her. The man. I underline those words. The man. He will not rest. I, you know what Naomi was telling Ruth? I promise you, Ruth, Boaz is going to do everything that he possibly can to make sure this works out. Trust Boaz. And can I tell you something about God? Uh, he's better than Boaz. <laughs> Because Boaz was going to do everything within his power, but there was still a chance. There were some things outside of his power, right? Can I tell you, it's not that way with our heavenly Boaz. It's not that way with our God. Listen, everything is within his control. Everything is under his control. And I promise you, listen, he will not rest. You can rest because he's not. 
You can sit because God's not. And that's exactly what Naomi was telling Ruth. Ruth, you can sit still because Boaz won't. He's going to go and do the work. And you can rest in his ability. Don't have bad thoughts of Boaz. Don't have faithless thoughts of Boaz. Trust him. Trust him. Fruitless thoughts are not going to help you. Faithless thoughts are not going to help you. Trust Boaz. I'll give you one little, one little thought, and I'm done tonight. I'm going to call them this, these kind of thoughts, fearless thoughts. Fearless thoughts. Now, a lot of times we think of that word fearless. That's good, bold, courageous. But hold on, just hear me out. I'm using that word on purpose, fearless thoughts. Thoughts that have no fear to them. Can I tell you, there were times, now, and I already told you, it's not my nature to sit still. It's my nature to move around, okay? It's definitely my nature to move around. But there were times that when I did sit still, you know why? I was afraid not to. <laughs> there was a fear of daddy. There was a fear of the teacher. There was a fear of punishment or whatever. And so I sat still against all of my nature. I sat still because I was afraid to move. And can I tell you something? I don't know exactly if, I don't know what Ruth knew about the history of Israel. I don't know. But you can go through the history of, of God's people in the Old Testament and you can find illustrations and you can find examples of people that did not wait on God they couldn't sit still, and they messed up their life. I don't know if Ruth knew about it or not, but maybe she thought about, or maybe she was thinking about Achan. Achan is somebody that couldn't sit still. You know what Achan did? He stole in Jericho what he should not have stole. He took, God said, you can take Jericho, but leave all the stuff alone. He couldn't leave it alone, and he had to take it. Do you know what happened? He ended up losing his life and his family. He was judged by God because he took what he was supposed to take. But listen to me. Here's the thing. You know what's amazing? The very next city they went to conquer after, conquer after Jericho was called Ai. And do you know what God told them? God said, when you go into Ai and conquer Ai, take whatever you want. Oh, man. If Achan just could have waited. <laughs> if he could have just waited. But you know what? He took matters into his own hands and he couldn't wait. He couldn't sit still. He thought, this is my chance. If I don't get it now, I'll never get anything. Man, what a lie that was. And he ended up messing up his life. I wonder if Ruth maybe was thinking about, was thinking about, uh, about um, Israel, the children of Israel. They, you know, they couldn't wait on Moses to get down from off the mountain. They made a golden calf and all that. You know the story? It turned out horrible. People died. God was mad. They couldn't wait. They couldn't just wait. I wonder if I wonder if she knew a little bit, maybe more about Moses. If you'd kept reading after the text I preached this morning, you'll find out Moses went and killed an Egyptian, hid his body in the sand. He wanted to deliver his people, but you know what? It just wasn't time, and it wasn't in God's way, and he couldn't just wait. And he ended up getting himself into some trouble. I wonder if she was thinking about maybe even the father of the Israelites. What about Abraham? Abraham, uh, you remember God promised him a son, but it didn't come. 
Didn't come, didn't come. So he thought, you know what? You know what Sarah suggested? And Abraham thought it was a great idea. You know what? Let's help God a little bit. And here we got old uh, Ishmael. Uh, all that stuff going on in the Middle East, that's all still going on. That's Isaac and Ishmael going at it. Thanks a lot, Abraham. You know what that was? Abraham couldn't sit still and just wait on God. She may not have knew any of those things. Ruth's from Moab. She, would, she didn't grow up learning the scriptures, learning the Pentateuch and all that about the history of Israel. But I'll tell you what she did probably know. She did probably know about her own heritage. You know, she was a Moabitess. I'm preaching a long time. I'm about done. Listen, you know, you know Ruth was a Moabitess. You know what that means? She was a descendant of Moab, right? Do you know where Moab came from? Moab was born, and I, I almost hate to, I mean, it's, it's an unseemly story, but it's in the Word of God, Genesis 19. Moab was the product of Lot and one of his daughters. And those girls, they came out of Sodom. They watched that whole world get destroyed, and they, they, couldn't, they, they couldn't trust God that God was going to take care of them. They thought, you know what, there's no other men. God's destroyed all the men on the earth. There's no other man on the earth. If we're going to preserve a seed, we're going to have to do this unthinkable thing. And they couldn't wait on God. And out of that impatience and ignorance and arrogance came Moab. And what a horrible existence that was. The guilt, the shame, all that, the ungodliness that goes along with that. And you know what's amazing? Fast forward from that instance in Genesis 19, 650 years. And here we come to the book of Ruth. 650 years later. And in Genesis 19, there was two sisters, and they were worried about preserving a seed. And so they couldn't wait, and they did the unthinkable. And they messed up a lot of lives. Fast forward 650 years. You know what you find in Ruth chapter 3? There's two women with the same desire. They feel like they need to preserve a seed. But instead of getting ahead of God and stepping outside of God's will and outside of God's word, you know what they did? They said, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to sit. And we're just going to wait. Can I tell you what? You know one thing that ought to keep us sitting and waiting? All the stories. Not just in the Bible, but can you think of the times in your life when you didn't wait on God, did it ever work out good? Didn't you get yourself in a mess? You know what? We need to have a little bit of fear about us, don't we? Be afraid of getting out of the will of God, afraid of stepping out of the, of the will of God, the Word of God. And that should cause us to be able to just sit still and wait. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying that you'll be thankful that you did down the road. Because ask Abraham, ask Moses, ask Israel, ask Achan. Y'all, when you try to take things into your own hands, it always turns out bad, doesn't it? I don't know what you're going through tonight. I don't know why God put this on my heart, but maybe it's for somebody tonight. You're going through some things, and you're feeling antsy. You're feeling anxious. Maybe the Lord just sent you a message tonight just to say, Hey, sit still. Sit still. Just wait. Let God work. 
You may not be able to see it. You see, Ruth was sitting in the house. Boaz was in the gate of the city. She couldn't see him working. She had to trust that he was. And listen, you may not be able to see God working, but I promise you, I promise you, God is working. And He's working on your behalf because He loves you. And I don't know how it's all going to fall out, but I promise you it'll be for your good and for His glory. And it'll be a lot better than if we try to take things into our own hands. Sit still. Sit still. Let's stand together.